I'm Kelsey. I'm Cassie. And I'm Nolan from SCP Weekly. We bring you news from on-site and off-site. And we share your love for the creative community that surrounds the SCP Wiki. Join us on Tuesdays for new episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts, or on YouTube at SCP Weekly. The file you are about to hear has been thoroughly scrutinized by the Ethics Committee and approved by the O5 Council for release to trusted associates of the Foundation. This is SCP Unredacted. There was a sense of power in how Officer Calloway's boots rang out against the silence. Perhaps it was the raw individuality of it, a solo performance. Jules was the only source of sound now. Or perhaps it was the memories of their school days, of sharp-dressed administrators and the heel clicks they'd come to match. Whatever the case, they stepped proudly, surveilling the halls and knowing nothing would dare to cross them on a night like this. Though, judging by the buzz in their pocket, that didn't mean that nobody would. Their pacing halted with a click as they checked their notifications. Good night, homie. Homie. Honey. Haha, <laughs> hey, ma. Sleep well. I'm at work. So late? Be safe. Remember that article I sent the other day? Woman found dead? That was near you. Ma, that was like four cities away. I can take care of myself, promise. Now go to sleep. I love you, bunches. You too. Call soon, too. I had a dream your brother's wife was pregnant. Very weird. Ha, <laughs> I'm sure. Night. There was a line an older co-worker of theirs had said once. It was nice to have someone worry about you, or something like that. Except Jules was nearing 28, and it was all getting to be a bit much. Besides, it had been almost a year since anyone had wanted them dead. Sighing sharply, they jammed their phone back into their pocket and continued on their route. The beam of their flashlight made the frames on the walls shine. Some of these paintings were hundreds of years old, some worn enough to need restoration. On their unluckier nights, Jules had to share their domain with the man who headed up such efforts, Adam Morrow's. Fucker got to actually touch the paintings. They had to settle for just quietly admiring them. They clicked their way over to an empty space at the wall and aimed their torch at the poster that hung there. Martin Drolling's interior of a kitchen has been taken down for restoration. We apologize for the inconvenience. Even a photo displayed how cracked the surface was. He was right. The old thing needed fixing. And once he was done, it would look as perfect as ever. On one hand, that was good, because history and culture and preservation very well did matter. But on the other, 
It meant Adam wouldn't be fired any damn time soon. Insufferable prick though he was. Jules stood for a while in front of the piece, glaring at the figures smiling back at them. At least this job was giving him some trouble, issues with one of the paint colors being hard to match. They'd tried talking with him about it when he'd first undertaken the project about two weeks prior. What, so you don't mix some colors and slap them on? They jeered, leaning over his shoulder as he took notes. Not quite, no. He'd pushed up his stupid magnifiers and smiled at them. We have a mastery of several pigments, Egyptian blue even, though it was lost for so long. But this one is difficult to emulate. Its rich tones are largely due to its, well, unsavory composition. You mean, they gestured vaguely toward their lower regions. No, goodness, but perhaps a bit more sinister. Jules thought it over for a moment, came up blank. I'm not following. He'd stared at them for a moment, looking like he was trying to calculate an answer. No, not calculate. Taylor. Nothing you need to concern yourself with. You're a little too quiet for me not to be concerned. I'll just leave it at this. He'd stood, looming a few extra inches over them. Something of a sense of superiority, they figured. Art and its history are complicated matters. If we tried to measure the past by the ethics of the present, we'd deem everyone a criminal. It's best not to judge the old masters, and better to simply appreciate what they gave us. Can you... Do you understand that? Jules could. Jules did. But it didn't mean they had to like it. I know there's something up with you, they told the poster. I don't really know what, but there's something. Spooky shit for a couple of broads. If the picture had opinions, it kept them to itself. Jules was a person of many talents. At least this is what they mused to themselves as they circled around the staff area and checked the entry logs. These talents included their security work, of course. The one time someone had broken in, they hadn't stood a chance. And then there was the work back in... Hell, they were beaten around the bush. Their real talent was extreme patience. So much patience, in fact, that when the log displayed a sign-in from Dr. Adam Morrow's just two hours earlier... They didn't send the display console hurtling toward the opposite wall. So much for solitude. They noted down the activity in their logbook and pushed open the door to the restoration space. That saintly patience came into play once more as they caught themselves before they flicked on the harsh fluorescent lights. Instead, just turning up the torch beam and aiming it square at the cloth-covered workstation. Protocol says you owe me a heads up before waltzing in here. The beam glinted off his glasses, tossing shards of light at the wall as he looked up at them. Apologies, Officer Calloway. I couldn't sleep a wink. I thought I might get a little extra work done on the drolling work. They scowled. If he could see it, he didn't react. Guess I better head out then. I hate to disturb all your high-tech mixing efforts. Oh, they're hardly high-tech. He reached over to adjust the lampshade, letting the bulb cast a faint, warm glow across his face. You're welcome to take a look if you'd like, 
I've made some progress mimicking the old pigmentation. Nothing can quite match the original, of course, but I believe it should suffice. Jules raised an eyebrow, but after a moment's pause, they crossed the room to join him at the broad table. Secured to its surface was interior of a kitchen. Now that they were up close and personal with the damn thing, its cracks were all the more apparent. There was some level of poetry in here, they mused. A beautiful piece tarnished with time, cracking to reveal, well, something Morrow's obviously knew, but something Jules was still in the dark about. Those faces were mocking them. They were sure of it. Not bad. They examined where the cracks had been carefully sealed and colors had been precisely matched. God only knew what kind of concoctions he'd used to patch up the damn thing. The fume traps, really just large fans, were on full blast, but Jules could still pick up traces of a chemical cocktail. Still fucking creepy, especially with your being on some... Especially with your being on some kicker about the paint comp. But I guess that's not changing anytime soon. Comp? Composition. It's what, 2 a.m.? I stopped being a wordsmith past 12. You want a sonnet? Go talk to Bill Shakespeare. He stared at them, his expression steadily growing more disturbed. William Shakespeare. You got it. Jewel stepped back from the table giving the flashlight a twirl. See, I know stuff. About things. I'd know more, you know, if you weren't so weird about shit. Adam bristled, closing his eyes and taking what Jules felt was an over-exaggerated deep breath. Is this about the conversation we had the other day? You should try for Mensa. Look, Jules... He trailed off, pinching the bridge of his nose and heaving another deep sigh. God, what was it with that stance? Seemed like every guy who thought he was something big struck it to make a point. There's a lot of complexity behind the history of that painting. Things that horrified artists like drolling. You wouldn't believe some of the things people come across in this job. They raised an eyebrow. You work with paint, dude. Past huffing-induced hallucinations, I doubt you're going up against much. Huh? For one long, disturbing moment, he was silent. And Adam wasn't a man who did silence. He did quiet, sure, and that little voice of his that both demanded you respect him and begged you to listen to him, but never silence. And never the blank silence Jules was being met with, calculating, ice cold. Perhaps there is just a bit more you should learn then, Jules. Past sheltering me? I'm honored. Next you'll be teaching me about jaywalking. Or maybe showing me how to shoot off a few rounds, you know, just for self- Hey! Adam was not listening. Their rant had bought him the time needed to shut off the fume fans. And now there was stark silence. The only sounds being Jules' struggles as he grabbed them by the back of the collar and dipped them toward the surface of the painting. They flung out a hand to catch the edge of the table and keep from plowing into the damn thing, but now their nose was practically touching the still-drying surface. The faces below blurred out of focus as they strained to regain sense, struggled to regain posture too, but couldn't find a weak point behind them, 
Couldn't pull the collar away from their neck enough to not gasp for air. Couldn't lash out for fear of damaging a priceless artifact. And in all of this, all Adam offered was one word. Listen. They listened, but he wasn't speaking. Hello. Hello, hello there. You seem new. You seem a new face seem to be. Can I ask you something? Does he often treat you in such a way? Are you going to bury me again? Your eyes open wide, wide eyes, moon sky like the sky. I would have little patience for such a thing. I liked the sky when I saw it higher than I ever made it, higher than the gallow, higher. Could you do it right this time? You seem pained. It keeps getting darker. Higher than my soul, the sun, the sun, the father, the... Are you joining us? He was at least kind enough to ensure they fell back when they collapsed. At least, above all else, Jules was dutiful. After the shit with the painting, as they had dubbed it, they'd finished their shift and returned home without another word to or from anyone. They'd slept for five hours, gone to the store, straightened up their apartment, and, well, and then just sat back and stared at the ceiling for a while. How were you supposed to deal with things like this? Contacting the police, probably. At the very least, contacting the museum to let them know their restoration specialist was batshit insane. But HR complaints were mounds of paperwork, and legal proceedings were time and money and Jules was exhausted just existing these days. So after another nap that afternoon, they did what they always did when times were rough and money was tight. They went to work. Flashlight. Poster. Hallways. Art. Check-ins. Adam, no. Kitchen, paint. Clear it and move on. Don't stop to talk. Don't look where you shouldn't. Text your mother. Although they tried convincing themselves several times over that they weren't concerned for Adam, they couldn't quite master the lie. Elitist he was, and condescending. But not violent. Never before violent. And if they'd heard those voices at his insistence, he'd heard them too. So they were either really there, or they were both screwy. A few nights of pondering these matters prompted Jules to call a therapist. A night awake prompted them to cancel the appointment. Something like this was likely to get them medicated, or worse, and mandatory reporting would come back to bite both of them. Besides, the museum at night was their domain, and it was that thought above the rest that kept drawing them back to pace through the halls. Flashlight shining, boots clicking, and the moments where all they thought about was the silence itself, and not what lay underneath it. It felt like they were back in control. Jules knew these halls. They knew these paintings. And they knew that if Adam Morrows grabbed them like that again, They were going to have a hell of a lot more than something to say about it. But every night, they felt the urge to return, 
to listen to what the choir had to tell them, and to understand who and what they had been. When had ghosts become a thing? Jules had gone her bexing as a kid, having hopped fences to walk through abandoned houses and tag their walls. Even the places that gave the local tough kids a pause barely phased them. So why? Why did things have to become real now? Right when they were trying to put their life back together. Are you joining us? A year ago, maybe. They'd been a hotshot young detective assigned to an art theft case that nobody took too seriously. Just another painting to be intercepted on eBay, and the damn thing wasn't worth that much anyway. The art theft detail had welcomed it as a break after going on a months-long goose chase for a painting that had been in Grandma's closet. Then, people started getting killed. It had escalated fast. Jules had been on the online side of things, grabbing details and intercepting emails. But suddenly, they were stumbling across the names and numbers of people working the case. Details about their homes and families, all up for grabs for interested parties. They'd done what they could, but soon enough, their own name had popped up, and nobody wanted the department rookie's death on their conscience. They'd been not so gently instructed to disappear. They had. They'd hunkered down in a nice little job below both their pay grade and their skill level, and now had to worry about getting choked out in a restoration workshop while a bunch of ghosts ranted at them. Rock bottom was beginning to feel like a fragile surface. A stinging sensation in their palm dragged jewels out of their sulking. They pried their fingernails from their skin and eased their grip on the flashlight as they approached the screen. No names. No morrows. Good. They cracked open the door, doing a quick once-over with the torch. Coast still seemed clear. They stepped back and pulled the door shut, continued on their way. All routine these days. Everything as quick as possible. Except... Except the issue was the routine. They'd been dodging around the room ever since the attack, doing their best to avoid running into Adam. The museum at night was supposed to be their domain, damn it. But here they were, tiptoeing around Mr. X. It all had to stop. They at least had to know, had to figure out what the hell was going on with that painting. And if he wasn't there, this was as good a time as any. They took a deep breath and pushed the door open. It all felt like signing in at their old desk, hands trembling, as they brought up news of the dead and soon-to-be. Now the dead had spoken, and Jules felt they owed it to them to listen. Just a couple of broads on an old, old canvas. Hello. Hello again. We were waiting for when we'd see you again. Hello again, again. They always come back. She said they would when. He's been dreadful company these past few days. It keeps growing darker. Clouds cover the sky and I cannot see the sun and I weep for it. I should hope you've taken care to avoid him. He's said some worrying things. 
He won't answer my questions. Yeah, Adams... I don't know what's up with him, honestly. He's never been this bad. Speaking to the damn thing didn't make the whole situation feel any less weird. But it was nice to know that the weird painting ghosts seemed concerned for their well-being. Or one was, at least. Any statements that stood out to you? Yes, quite a number of... You speak strangely. Do not eat the apple. God weeps for the sin of it all. As I was saying, quite a number of things. About you, particularly. And about the old masters. A question, a challenge, a query, an inquisition. I don't know who they are. He seems to crave their approval. Others as well. He seems a bit of a desperate man. I mean, he's a big shot around these parts. He has a reputation to keep, but why has that got you worried? A thought flashed through their mind, morbid and vivid. But the very idea of it was ridiculous enough to sound like something from a horror movie. They shook their head, doing their best to shrug it off. They had to get it together, focus on what was really going on here. Never mind, just who are you? Just someone. I am unworthy. I believe I am a simpler case. I was a darling little foreign wife. Someone took me apart. My husband took ill and passed suddenly. I was accused of killing him for his fortune. The sky weeps, the sun shies away, I am floating. I was imprisoned. I was killed. Flying, floating, hanging, waiting. I was angry. I stayed bound to my body. Someone bound my body. I heard someone say they would mummify me. I knew the term only from my husband's curiosities. That's the word. But Langer, I truly came to know what it meant. Jules furrowed their brow. So you... A lesson from training crept back into their mind at the mention of the mummies. They'd been taught to pick up on characteristics of art pieces from different eras. Things that would denote authenticity. Stroke styles. Signature quirks. Paint types. But... So wait. You aren't Egyptian? From our apparent mutual understanding, it seems safe to say that the three of us are not. Yeah, fair, but... They raked a hand back through their hair, tugging at their scalp to try and focus. But then, we'll talk about that later. What has he been saying? Your doctor has become obsessed with authenticity. He's called you his muse. He refuses reason. My love pouring endlessly. I see her. I see the sun. Even the voices quieted at the sound of the far door opening. Jules, I thought you might be here. I'm I'm terribly sorry about the other day. Go. Jules ran, boots pounding on steady floorboards, flashlight beam swinging wildly. Before Adam could even register their movements, they had reached the opposite door, tugging on its handle to escape to freedom. 
found it wouldn't budge. And now, alone with a madman in the dark, that stubborn thought rose to the surface again. There were more people in that painting than the three women it depicted, more, probably, than had even spoken to Jules thus far. And they were in the paint. Jules wiped a sweaty palm on their slacks, adjusting their grip on the flashlight. Was, uh, jamming the door part of your apology, Adam? They gave a nervous chuckle, turning to face the interior of the room. Most people do this kind of thing over coffee. In softer lighting, they might have been convinced of his side. His smile was small and meek, and he walked slowly. The torch's sterile beam was unforgiving, though, and Jules could see how much just looked wrong. The smile was paired with dead eyes, and that walk was deliberate. A necessity, I'm afraid. You do have a bit of a, let's say, tendency to run when things get complicated. Their nails were beginning to break skin. Fuck off. Adam stopped and held up his palms. My sincerest apologies for hitting a sore spot. But I do my research on the things that fascinate me. You happen to be one of them. Yeah, your pals said something similar. They took a few steps to the side, trying to keep him an even distance away. Told me a bit about themselves, too, actually. Your unsavory composition was just, you know, human lives. Guess that ain't much to you, but you talk a lot of shit about preserving history for someone restoring a painting created with ground-up mummies. They expected a reaction from that line. Something at least, anger or denial. Something that made him feel human, but he simply shrugged. It isn't as if I can change the past. At least have a little fucking shame for it, Adam. He stepped forward. Jewel stiffened. And yet, you have no shame for interfering with my work, Officer Calloway. I would think someone like you would understand the inheritance of loss in art. The fuck do you think about it? He began to pace. Art. Art always requires loss, does it not? Money spent on paints leaving one in the gutter, trying to appeal to the masses to earn their keep. Gorgeous portraits of wartime scenes. And there, there you can even see the loss right on the canvas. Hmm? So what is the next step, Jules? He turns to face them. Pouring human emotions, humanity, into a painting is the start. Is putting in actual humans not the next logical step? Is it not the purest form of love to those we do not know to include them in what we deem beautiful? Jewel stared at him, eyes wide with shock. It took a moment for them to recover, but once they did, they said the one line they could think of. Bless your fucking heart, Adam. You're screwier than I thought. He smiled broadly, stepping forward to close the gap and putting a hand on their shoulder. It's that southern charm that draws me to you, Jules. It really is. Drawing back with a grimace, they raised their arms to shove him back. But before they could react, they found themselves staring up at him, their legs swept out in less than a second. 
Their head hit the ground with a crack. They tasted blood. Disappointing, considering your prior training. I suppose even the pros get rusty. They spat, rolling over to try and push themselves up. But now he had their legs, and they felt a ripping pain through their elbows and hands as they tried to brace against being dragged back. Adam simply hoisted them up like a fallen toy, holding them close, whispering an apology for their struggles, assuring them the pain would be temporary. And then the world tilted sharply, the edge of the table catching jewels in the back of the legs and making them crumple back onto it. The room felt like it was spinning. Their ears were ringing, their palm, their tongue. God only knew what else was bleeding, and they could barely string together a coherent thought other than I don't want to die. They tried to get up, couldn't, could only look around the dark, wide-eyed and disoriented. But the room was now mockingly quiet, forcing them to hear their own whimpers and gasps and pleas for Adam to just stop this. But there was no response from him now. He was off by his supplies, getting something. And even though they had precious seconds, there was nothing they could do. They closed their eyes and willed the world to stop. And for a brief moment, it felt like it did. I think I see the sun. What's that? It's definitely brighter. They opened their eyes, glancing over to the painting and the flashlight next to it. I believe I will leave this decision to you. I don't want to die. The sheer effort of moving nearly knocked them down again. They grit their teeth against the pain, felt a gasp slip out, heard Adam begin to rush back over, but the torch was theirs, and as they steadied themselves on the table, they felt a strange clarity among the chaos. Come on, Jules, this is pitiful. You're only making this harder for us both. They dragged him down and against them, slammed him against the table, stared down at his shock, wondered which city they'd head to next, then slammed the torch against his head until he stopped moving. Say hi to the old masters for me, Adam, they wheezed. I think y'all might be in the same place now. The room was silent. They weren't sure how much time had passed. An hour? Two? Granted, five minutes could feel like an eternity with a corpse in the room. Whatever the case was, they knew they had time before anyone would arrive on the scene. In spite of their nerves being shot, in spite of the shaking, Jules felt eerily calm. Deep down, they knew they had expected something like this, had seen it coming from the moment he'd first attacked them. The panic would come later, they were sure. But for now, they embraced the numb tranquility. They leaned against the table, tilting their head back and closing their eyes. This was borrowed time, borrowed peace. But they had done what they had to do. Well, except for one thing. Hey, Ma. Just wanted to let you know I'm safe. Love you bunches. Good night. You sure this is the right place? 
his passenger ceased checking her hair to give a curt nod. Absolutely sure, Polinsky. We harassed some random old lady and were... Daniel. She gave a sideways glance, a warning. We did research, many hours. If person inside is older than... Hmm, 30? We leave. If not, we ask. And if wrong person, we handle it. He sighed, securing the emergency brake with a click before exiting the car. Walking around to her side, he opened the door and held a hand out to her. After you, madame. Don't patronize me. But she accepted his assistance in exiting, taking care to avoid a stray beer can in her step down from the truck cabin. The air smelled of salt, the ocean's breeze gently rustling their hair and clothes as they entered the gallery. It was a small place near the docks, flanked by a few restaurants and trolley tour kiosks. All in all, a nondescript little tourist town on the East Coast. And if Polinsky's theory was correct, it was the perfect place to disappear. Looks like a lot of local art. Daniel strode over to the far wall, letting out a low whistle at one of the listed prices. Still pretty steep for what it is. Focus. Right, sorry. A small counter sat toward the back of the space. Dr. Polinsky walked over without a moment's hesitation, ringing the small silver bell that rested on the outer corner. Be with y'all in a minute. All right, thank you. She looked over to Daniel, winked. He only sighed. It was a few moments before anyone stepped through the back door, but when they did, both knew their hunch had been correct. Average height, lean build, androgynous look, and the freckles, dozens of them scattered across their face, their most distinct trait judging from the interviews. You could dye your hair, get a nose job, do any number of things, but some things always stayed the same. Good afternoon. Hey, can I help you with anything? Maybe. Expecting many customers? They tilted their head to the side. Ah, uh, not really today, nah. Weekends are busier. Folks driving out here for some beach time. Why? Perfect. Daniel, wait by entrance, please. You got it. Polinsky placed her hands flat on the counter meeting the shop owner with a level gaze. Let's talk, Jules. As Daniel walked away, Jules was sorely tempted to do the same. But this lady had dropped their name, seemed to recognize them. They could run away, sure, but there was no guarantee that there weren't more people stationed outside. And, well... Jules was content here, plain and simple. They were done running. What's... What's up? Interesting response. The woman leaned forward, lowering her voice. Would you prefer I be more hush-hush about things? I understand you have had some unfortunate situations. They sighed. That is one way of putting it. Look, uh... Dr. Polinsky... Yeah, uh, rare. Pardon? 
I represent a group called Rare, Recovery and Relocation of Entities. Jules raised an eyebrow. Name was from Group Vote. Personally not a fan. But that is beside the point, no? She smiled. Point is, ten months ago in Museum, you come across something unnatural. As did old friend of yours, though my guess is, by end of exchange your friendship was over. They crossed their arms. You a cop? Ironic for you to ask, no. I am interested party, interested in your experiences and keeping them safe, and keeping you in this life of yours. Are you interested? What's your catch? Her cool smile broke down into laughter, ringing through the space of the gallery with a tinny echo. Ah, I love when people try to... Go to Jess, act tough, yes. But I have no catches. Only options. If you're aiming for blackmail, I ain't pulling in much in the off-seasons. Goodness, no. I have offer, that is all. Dr. Polinsky folded her hands. Either way, I help set you up. If possible, I appreciate your assistance. Project of mine. I would compensate. I'm not hurting anyone. What do you think this is, the mob? No. Intelligence. She took a folder out from her bag and placed it on the counter. You are aware of unnatural things. I want you to report more of them, not speak of them to anyone else. You sign agreements. I take you into my employ. Simple. Jules blinked, opening the folder and glancing through the documents. NDAs, hiring agreements, and a dossier. They took a moment to flip through their own life story on paper. Why me? You are professional. Ideal career. Physical combat training. A little more work. You make ideal field agent. And you ain't just fucking around with me? Oh, I make point to never fuck around. Polinsky patted the documents on the table. Tell you what, this is... Much to consider, I am aware. You take time. Think about things. All right. And keep them under wraps. I will know if you don't, and I will turn you in very happily if that is case. She pushed back from the counter, granting them a nod. We return in few days. You say yes, we take you on. You say no, we wipe conversation and start over. I do not mean this as threat, but I assume you understand need for precaution. Jules glanced down at their palms, still faintly scarred from where their nails had massacred the skin. Yeah, uh, see you then, I guess. Yes, see you then. Enjoy rest of your day. She gazed around at the walls, giving the displays a nod of what they could only assume to be approval. Enjoy the quiet. Oh, trust me, I do. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, 
Join my Discord community, hire me on Fiverr, or help support me by becoming a patron for as little as $3 a month. Regardless of tier, all patrons get early access to every single episode. The links are in the description. I don't have the talent it takes to write a skip. All I do is read. Original authors make this podcast possible, so credit to the original author. Their link's in the description. Show them some love as well. Consider becoming a member of the SCP Wiki. Upvote their work and maybe write a skip of your own. Maybe I'll read it here someday. You never know if you never try. The content of this podcast and content relating to the SCP Foundation, including the SCP Foundation logo, is licensed under Creative Commons ShareLight 3.0, and all concepts originate from scpwiki.com and its authors. This recording, being derived from this content, is hereby also released under Creative Commons ShareLight 3.0. I'm Grigori Carpin from Simply Creative People, the podcast where we discuss GOIs, canons, and stories from the SCP Wiki, and we try to recommend things for all fans of the Wiki, new and old. Look for us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Visit the show page at anchor.fm slash simply-creative-people, or follow us on Twitter at S-I-M-C-R-E-A-T. Hey there, this is DJ Skip, host of Foundation After Midnight Radio, coming to you from the only third shift broadcast for personnel, by personnel. Be sure to tune in wherever you listen to podcasts to not miss out on containment news and community announcements from within the Foundation.